if you were to have somebody that was important or famous or significant to you over to your home, would you prepare for that visit? Maybe, maybe not. Probably, right? You, you would maybe put some stuff in the closet, you know, maybe bring out the nicest things for your table setting and, you know, you would put some effort into it. You wouldn't treat it casually. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I've been wrestling with this word that, that I've been looking at around preparing the temple for the presence of God. And there's something about preparing ourselves to meet with God that's significant. Uh, if you've been with us or following along with the things we've been ministering into over the last while, uh, you'll know that we've been talking through this scripture in Chronicles. It's in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, and it's, uh, it's something that the Lord lays out as, as something for Solomon and the people. And he says, you know, if my people who are called by not my name will humble themselves, that they will, I'm going to read it just so I don't miss it. It says that they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. He lays this this thing out for the people and it becomes a truth that's relevant for them and, and those like ourselves that come after. And you know, with this, with this scripture, um, I wanted to look at what happened before this. You know, what happened before God laid this out for the people? And I want to talk through a bit of the story of that. You know, in 2 Chronicles 1, we see the story start, and it's when Solomon has sort of taken over from his father, David, and he's leading the Israelites now. And, and in, in 2 Chronicles 1, 1, it says that Solomon, the son of David, was established, and he was firmly established over his kingdom, for the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. So Solomon's leading these people at this time. And, you know, Solomon, in his wisdom, uh, he knows that he needs to talk to God. So he's praying and he's communing with God. And God says, Solomon, ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon doesn't ask for a nice new house. He doesn't ask for a bunch of money or gold. He says, you know, God, give me wisdom. In verse 10, it says, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead these people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. You know, in humility, he recognizes in himself that he doesn't have enough to lead the people and he just wants to know how he can point these people in the right way to live. And I love God's graciousness and blessing. God gives him that and because he asks for wisdom and knowledge, it says that God blesses him abundantly with everything else you could think of, right? Wealth and possessions and honor. God really blessed Solomon. And we kind of carry on and we see sort of what's the next thing for a priority for Solomon. And, and we see that Solomon actually gets to build the first temple for the Israelites. He builds the first temple in chapter 2. It was his highest priority. We know that uh, at this time the Israelites had the Ark of the Covenant, which was um, the place that held the Ten Commandments that God had given Moses that they had carried through the desert. And for those of us that maybe aren't familiar, the Ark of the Covenant represented the tangible presence of God. It was a big deal. This was God. Um, it was the presence of God amongst the people. And it was the, the Ark was holy. It was sort of something that only those that were set apart could touch or to move. And they had to be very just careful around the presence of God and not to take it casually. And Solomon recognizes the significance 
of the, the ark and the significance of God and the people and says, well, I'm going to go build this temple. I'm going to go build this temple. And you know what, what the temple represented was a place for the people to commune with God. Um, and it really acknowledged his lordship and God's rule and reign over the people. It was, it was a place set aside for worship. It was a place set aside for sacrifice. It was a place set aside for offering. And it was a holy set aside place for the manifest presence of God to be around the people. So when I looked at this and I was reading through the story, I thought, man, man, this piece of preparing the temple, right, for the presence of God just stuck in my head. But you know, like many of you, when I think of something like that, you know, preparing, I want to think of a list, right? Well, what are the things I have to do? Where's my to-do list? And we're doers, right? We're all doers. We want our list of what can I do? What are my steps then? And many of you are probably thinking, well, Paul, you're going to give us, you know, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this, I've got to do. That's actually not where I'm going to go. I want to dig a little bit deeper into this and the first thing that I want to say, spoiler alert, the first point I have for us is that you are the temple. And I want to unpack that a bit as we read through the scripture, but you are the temple. And in this story, when we read through it with that lens, stuff just starts to blink at us. And for me, it just stood out. You know, the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, it says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? It goes on and says, God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And you're probably going, wait a minute. Well, Paul, how did we go from Solomon building a temple to you telling me that, that I'm the temple? Well, let me explain it. If you're one that attended Sunday school, it's really simple. If I ask you, you know, what's, what's the answer? You just say Jesus, right? You're usually going to get it right. Well, the answer is Jesus. So how do we get from here to here? Well, the answer is Jesus. It's Jesus. And how so? Well, the scripture tells us that Jesus went to the cross for us. He paid the price for our sin. And sin is the thing that has separated the people from God all the way back to the beginning of time. So when the temple was built, the only folks that could stand in that holy presence that in, inside the temple were those that were set apart, consecrated, followed all these things to be able to be in that inner room. And you know, with Jesus, it says that he came and he paid the price for sin. And he died on that cross. He didn't stay on the cross. He went to heaven. And in the moment when he died on that cross, it says that the curtain in the temple tore from top to bottom. And it's a demonstration that this was nothing that God could do, or that we could do in our strengths. It was something that God did. And the curtain is what was the barrier that separated you and I from the presence of God. And we see the heart of God in this, that he wanted communion. He wanted intimate and personal relationship with you and I. And that's why Jesus came. So this story of the temple, there was a curtain and it separated everybody, the average Joe, you and me. And God tore it top to bottom because of Jesus and what he did. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? We have access to the presence of God. 
You can read about the, the story of kind of what follows and, you know, the presence of God coming in power. If you want to read through Acts 1 and 2, we shared on it a few weeks ago. But you are the temple. The scripture tells us that you are the temple. That means that with that curtain torn, that God is meeting with us all the time. The word is omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. He's here right now. God is here right now. So when I read the story with these lenses, what else do I see as I go through it? Solomon is building a temple, and this thing is magnificent. What he's building is unreal. Let me explain it, and let's read a little. In 2 Chronicles 2.5, in the ESV, it says, The temple I am going to build will be great, because our God is greater than all other gods. But who is able to build a temple for him? Since the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him. Who then am I to build a temple for him, except as a place to burn sacrifices before him? I love Solomon's perspective. He understands the magnificence of God. So he goes, I'm going to build something great as best as I can manage. But it's a joke in comparison to God and what he's built. I was trying to think of this for a context. It's like me being hungry and my daughter making me Play-Doh pancakes. That's the best that we could do, right? It's the best that, that Solomon could come up with. And what he comes up with is pretty incredible. But, you know, the Play-Doh Play pancakes are cute. They're not really going to do much for me, right? But it's the gesture. It's the heart behind it. And I love God's response in it all. But look at what, look at what, look at what he does. He says that he grabs 70,000 men as carriers. It says 80,000 stonecutters in the hills and 3,600 foremen. Can you imagine having 3,600 bosses? I'm kind of okay with maybe one. <laughs> but the amount of people that are on this project, it just, the, the numbers blew me away. It blew me away. So he's building something extravagant and he goes to great lengths right from the foundational stones to the cedars of the building to the gold and the silver and all of the furnishings. There's such incredible detail. He spares no expense in building this. It says in 2 Chronicles 4.18, it says, Solomon made all these things in great quantities for their weight of bronze was not sought. He didn't even count it. He wasn't even counting the weight of the metals. I was looking to try and figure out, well, how much did this building cost in today's dollars? And there's no exact answer to this, okay? But as best as scholars can kind of tell us, they give us a range and it's a pretty wide one, but they say it was hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars. That's wild. Here's your perspective. The CNN Tower in Toronto cost $63 million in 1976. $63 million. If you've seen the CN Tower, it's pretty impressive. If you haven't, get on a plane, maybe not now, fly to Toronto, go have a look. $63 billions. He was building something significant in his time. So what does this tell us? What does this speak of? If you are the temple, and the temple that Solomon's building, and there's this, this correlation, what is it telling us? And it's telling us this, friends that you are significant to him. 
that you are significant to him. God's plan was never to stay in a temple built by the hands of man. His plan wasn't to reside in that place. It was to reside in us. Us, you and I, a broken, sinful, messy people. You are significant to him. In John 13, 23, in the Amplified, Jesus is talking and he answers the people and he says, if anyone really loves me, he will keep my words, referring to teachings, and my father will love him and he will come to him and make, and we will come to him and make our dwelling place in him. He chooses to reside, to live inside you and I, his creation. This was his intent from the beginning. You're an incredible design. In Genesis 1.27, it says, God created man in his own image. You're created in the image of God. It says that in his image, God created them. Male and female, he created them. For me, it just reminds me that we need to know our worth. You need to know your worth. You're significant to God. You are significant to him. I think many of us go through life with a low value of ourselves. We have a low value of ourselves. We think that maybe our value is determined by what people think of us. That our significance somehow changes based on our influence and our accomplishments in life. You might not want to admit it, but deep down, maybe you see yourself through the eyes of your social class or your appearance or maybe even your race. And you think that somehow that actually gives you a different measure of value in life. Sometimes we even measure ourselves by our shortcomings and our achievements. But we're wrong if we do all of those things. That isn't what determines our value, friends. This has zero impact on our worth to God. Zero. You're significant to him. And, and the significance of your value and your worth to God is found in your identity in him alone. It's what he says of you, that you are a temple, that he's willing to come and reside in you, speaks volumes. And as I was reading this Old Testament story and seeing the imagery and just seeing, seeing what Solomon was building, and then the scripture tells me I'm a temple, and I go, oh man, wow. God left that thing, that temple, to come and live in here? Amazing. Amazing. It gives us a different perspective, doesn't it? It gives us a different perspective. God's intent was to restore us back to this intimate and personal relationship. And when I see the significance of what happens in the temple being built, it speaks of our value and worth. We know that gold is something that represents value. I've got a one ounce gold coin at home. It's about this big, like not big, okay? But it's worth about $2,600, $2,700 Canadian, I think right now, depending on whatever the spot price is. But it's this big, right? And it says, and Deborah talked about this a couple weeks ago, but as Solomon was building the ark, it says that they literally covered or they made everything out of gold in the temple. They covered the walls, the beams, the bowls, everything. They spared no expense, right? That's why this place was so expensive. They overlaid it with gold. 
In 2 Chronicles uh, 3.7, it says, So he lined the house with gold, its beams, its thresholds, its walls, and its doors. And he carved the cherubim on the walls. You know, just as Solomon does this in the temple with the things in it, God does this with us. He overlays us with gold. Well, what do, you, what do you mean, Paul? Well, let's explain it this way. Scripture tells us that love covers over a multitude of sins, right? Love, takes, love comes and pours out over us and covers the imperfect and makes it perfect. And this is Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross for us and he bled and died for you and I, his blood poured out and it says that it washes over us and it washes us clean. And it's, and it's like gold, friends. It covers us. It covers us. And this imperfection in our own reality and sinful ways, God covers over with gold. Such an incredible picture. And it's his righteousness. The scripture shows us that, that in our own, that we aren't righteous and we could never be righteous. The scripture tells us that our righteousness is filthy rags. If we try and make ourselves look good, it's not going to be good enough, right? But yet Jesus comes and he covers over us, right? And he heals us and he restores us and he makes us new. He overlays us with gold. Why? Because you are significant to him. And his intent was to always have personal and intimate relationship with you. So what else do I see as I read through this story? And I know I'm just kind of talking and hitting some of the highlights. You know, we're covering quite a few chapters here in the story of the temple being built. I want to encourage you, go and dig deeper because there's lots here. I can't cover everything. But there's another thing that just really stood out to me and I can't move past it. And that's this, that even as I talk about you being significant, it's still not about you. And that's my third point. It's not about you. It's about him. So when we consider preparing ourselves, right, or preparing the temple for the presence of God, it's actually not about you. Remember that our worth is found in him. Your worth isn't found in your own abilities and your own efforts. It's found in him. That's where our worth is. In Romans eleven thirty six, it says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. As a temple... We're designed to give glory to God. It's not about us. And when you look at the story, you know, when we see what they did with the temple, they didn't build this fancy temple to go and worship the temple, right? It wasn't to worship the temple. It was to host the presence of God and to worship him in that place. It was to be close to him and worship him. It wasn't actually about the temple. You can go ooh and ah to the temple, but I'm telling you what the ooh and ah was, was standing in the presence of Almighty God who chose to be in that place and meet with the people. And it's the same with us. Yes, God sees us as significant, but the whole purpose of us being a temple and what I'm talking about, it isn't to elevate our significance, friends. It actually humbles us that this mighty, powerful God would choose to come and reside in us and commune with us. It's about his righteousness. Remember, we have none. The scripture tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one, in our own ability. So you're all off the hook. You don't have to pretend that you're righteous, right? Take a deep breath. There's none of us that are righteous, but Jesus it doesn't mean that we get to just run around and, 
you know, we can live sinful lives. No, guys, sin's not great. It separates us from God, right? But his righteousness comes and it covers over. It covers over us. And when we understand the significance of him and then who we are, man, we want to do away with that stuff because we just want to get closer and closer and closer and closer to him. Amen? So when I look at this piece of preparing the temple and I talk about it, it's not about us. I see Solomon, you know, Solomon and the people, it says that they consecrated and dedicated everything and everyone in the temple to him. Things were consecrated. You know, stuff was brought into this temple that wasn't holy already. And I thought it was a really good picture. You know, there's, there's different items that were brought in and they weren't perfect. You know, there was, there was all kinds of items. Let's just leave it at that. But it says that they covered them with gold, you know. These items weren't wholly set, um, set apart, sanctified, uh, and declared as such until they went through that process of doing it. But once they were deemed set apart, they could then host the presence of God. They could be in the presence of God. And it just, it strikes me that God can take anything and make it set apart for his presence. He can take anyone, no matter how broken, no matter how hard, how, how um, hard your life has been and the difficulties and challenges you've been through and the shortcomings and the issues and the problems, man, God can cover over that. And, he, and it, it being about him is that, that those, those things became um, used in hosting the presence of God to magnify God. And, and they were dedicated for a higher purpose. The word consecration literally means to declare something as sacred. And reading this really challenged me. You know, are we set apart? Are we making a choice and recognizing, hey, that we're set apart? I think there's something in, in us that actually, there's a, there's a conscious recognition that that is who we are, and we embrace that. And it actually causes us to make different decisions in life. Are we dedicating ourselves to God? In all that we are, and all that we have, and all that we do, is it submitted to this king? Because we have a higher purpose than just existing. God designed us to host his presence so that he can reveal himself through us to a lost and broken world. Reminded of that even with the story that we heard just now with respect to the accident. You know, God, God has set us apart to be those that would represent him to the world. It's not about us being a temple. It's not about us being ooed and awed at from others. It's about others seeing us and going, man, you're hosting the presence of God. There's something about you. There's something different that you have. What is that? And it draws people closer to the Lord. It draws people to ask questions. We've been set apart for a higher purpose. You know, when I was reading through this story, there's and just some of the concluding thoughts, and I think of this list, you know, when we prepare ourselves for the presence of God, you know, there's, there is some things in this story that we see that are important and significant. And and, you know, you see that there's humility. You see that there's a significant prayer, that there's this process of repentance. We see worship happen, and all of these things are so important. But the reason we can't start there is because if we don't have this revelation solidified in our lives, that we are the temple, that we're significant to him, 
but it's not about us and it's about him. If we haven't, set, if we haven't solidified those things, we really quickly just jump to this list and we start to work our way through it. And then we kind of err on just maybe doing this in our own strength. Or we just look at, well, what's, what's the amount I have to do? I'll just do that. You know, I'll just, how long should I pray for every day? Okay, pastor, you said five minutes a day or 20 minutes a day. Okay, I've done my 20 minutes a day. And it's not about that. These things come out of the overflow, out of the overflow of the revelation I'm talking about. A really good example that this is what I'm saying is actually in, in reading about what happened in the context of sacrifice. Um, you know, with, with the law back then, there would have been an amount or a number that should be sacrificed. But look at this in 2 Chronicles 6. It says, And King Solomon and all the congregants of Israel who had assembled before him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. They just understood the significance of who God was, the significance of what the temple was representing, and they longed for the presence of God. They longed for the presence of God. I'm going to pick up in the story a bit here. It says in chapter 5, and a little ways into 13, it starts and you see that everyone's gathered and you see that they're now playing music together and they're all singing and playing music in unity. And it says they keep singing that he is good, his love endures forever. And, and then it says this, then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud and the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. The temple was filled with the glory of God. The temple was filled with this cloud. You know, sometimes the manifest presence of God comes, comes in a way that's different than we would expect and comes in a way that's tangible and just stretches our minds a bit. You know, this wasn't the only time that God showed up in a cloud. In the story in Exodus in 24, uh, 16, it just says that when the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai for six days and, and on the seventh day, the Lord spoke to Moses through the cloud. The glory of the Lord comes as a cloud and what's amazing is what happens in that. And for us, the best description for the presence of God isn't actually a word that we find in the Bible, but it is a word that you see the Jewish rabbis used. And it's a Hebrew word, and the word's Shekinah, and it means that he caused to dwell. He caused to dwell. Which basically signifies for us the dwelling was a divine visitation of the presence of God on earth. I just love the story, and I watch, and it's in this place of of the Israelites going through these steps, they build the temple and the presence of God comes and pours out. And I can't imagine what it would have been like in that space. But there was a hunger and a thirst for the people for wanting more of God. And God came in a mighty and powerful way. And God wants to do that in us. God wants to come in a mighty and powerful way in our lives. And he wants to work through us his very tangible presence. 
you know, I, I don't know about you, I don't have a lot of time to touch on this, but, you know, there's other times in history, as recent as uh, even a hundred years ago, where there's a story, if you read about the Azusa Street Revival, which happened in L.A., where people gathered in, in the name of the Lord, they prayed, they sought his face, they waited on God, they were hungry for his tangible presence, and there's record accounts of, of a cloud of mist coming into that, the meeting hall where they gathered. And the presence of God was so thick. And, and in those times when that happened, the miracles and the things that God did just were exponential. You have to go and dig and see it for yourself. But there should be a hunger and a thirst in us to see God move in power. And this whole story, the whole premise of what I'm referencing here, preparing ourselves for the presence of God and preparing the temple for the presence of God is about seeing God move in power in and through our lives because it's what we were designed for. We are his temple. I'm just going to invite the worship team up. We're going to sing a, we're going to sing a worship song and focus on Jesus. And I just want to encourage you that as you're hearing this, I really felt that, you know, that there's those here that in hearing this, maybe you're those that you've never considered the significance of who you are in the eyes of God. Man, I want to tell you that you are so significant, that God loves you, and if you were the only one, Jesus would have went to the cross for you. This is our creator. That you're special, that you're unique. But it actually isn't about your efforts. It isn't about your abilities or your talents or your good looks. He's created you for personal and intimate relationship with him. And I just, as we worship, I just want to invite you to commune with God. Scripture says that he resides in us. Remember, we're the temple. So he's here, he's right now. Commune with him, talk to him. God wants to speak to you and he wants to move in your life. Amen? Let's stand. I'm going to pray and I turn it over to the team here. Father, what a picture. What a picture as we read through the Old Testament. God, I thank you so much. Lord, that you choose to walk so close with us that you literally choose to reside in us. Lord, we acknowledge that we are nothing without you, that we cannot be righteous without you, Jesus. And we hunger and thirst for more. We want to see you move in our lives, your tangible presence move. We want to be a prepared people, a people that recognize who we are and who you are. God, I just ask that right now, Lord, as we go into worship, Father, that you would speak to people. Lord, that you would call them out. Lord, where they've believed lies about what is determining their worth and their value. God, that you would break those and that you would speak your truths over them that they are dearly loved, that they are sons and daughters, and that you call them by name. Amen.
Let's worship the Lord.